Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. This week on the show, we're going to focus on the state budget. We'll explain where we are, where the negotiations stand, and the overall process between the House and the Senate. And we'll drill down on some key education items in the proposed budgets with two key leaders from the North Carolina House, Representative Hugh Blackwell and Democrat Greg Meyer. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Now, as we record this week's show, GOP negotiators from the House and the Senate are working around the clock behind closed doors, hammering out differences between budgets passed by each chamber. The bottom line figure is the same, $22.9 billion, a 2.5% increase over the current fiscal year, but how to spend it differs. Key differences include the amount of tax cuts as well as how much to invest in key education areas like teacher salaries and principal pay. The two budgets are less than the governor's proposed $23.4 billion budget, a 5.1% increase, but with Republicans holding veto-proof majorities, at the end of the day, the only budget that really matters is the one that they pass. One item in the Senate budget that would immediately affect students and their families is a proposal to change how the state funds driver's education. You may recall that driver's ed funding was on the chopping block two summers ago and some school systems suspended driver's ed until a budget was passed that included funding. This new proposal would still provide funding, but it would require parents to pay the full price up front that can range from $250 to $400 a student and then request reimbursement from the state of up to $275. Today, parents pay $65. I wrote that check myself a few uh, last summer. The provision also wouldn't reimburse families if the student passes the DMV only on their first try. Senate leaders say it will create an incentive for students to take the test more seriously. Critics of the measure, though, say the upfront cost alone will simply price out many North Carolina families and also lead to more inexperienced drivers as teens wait until they're 18 and get a license without ever taking driver's ed. Finally, all the activity at the General Assembly is happening against a backdrop of possible special elections. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld lower court rulings that our state's current legislative districts drawn in 2011 by the Republican-led General Assembly are unconstitutional because they relied on race to unfairly gerrymander districts. State lawmakers say they are waiting on the lower courts to provide guidance on next steps, while Governor Cooper, as well as some plaintiffs in the case, are pushing for special elections before another legislative session takes place, like the lower court order last year. They point out that the current General Assembly majorities were elected in 2012, 14, and 16 using maps that the Supreme Court has ruled unconstitutional. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we have two great guests with us today, and I'm going to introduce them now. We have Representative Hugh Blackwell. Representative Blackwell is a Republican from Burke County, North Carolina. He is the chair of the Education Appropriations Committee, a member of the K-12 Education Committee. He's also vice chair of appropriations. So got a lot of hats, the right guy to be talking to today about budget. Next to a Representative Blackwell is Representative Greg Meyer. Representative Meyer represents, is a Democrat. He represents Durham and Orange County, and he serves on the K-12 Education Committee with Representative Blackwell. So thank you both for being here. Appreciate your time. First thing I'm going to ask you, Representative Blackwell, um, uh, since you're part of the Republican majority, about the overall budget process. Sort of, um, And I should point out to our viewers, this is a very fluid process. We tape our show a little bit earlier in the week, so 
things could have changed and firmed up some by the time we right. air. But sort of where are we and sort of what are the next steps? Maybe it would be helpful for me to take just a minute and uh, explain how the process works in the sense that on the House Appropriations Committee, it's divided into committees that have responsibility for certain areas of the budget. And I'm one of the co-chairs for education appropriation area. We develop a budget, we get it approved by our committee, but then it goes to the full committee, it gets approved. What's happened is the House has been through the process, the Senate's been through the process, there are differences that have to be resolved. So we go to conference with senators and House members meeting together. We start first with the chairs of the uh, Senate Education Appropriates Committee and the House, and we work out as much as we can. Then we, as the expression goes in the legislature, we kick it up right. to what we call the full chairs or the big chairs who are, in the case of the House, there's seven House members and I think there are three senators. Those ten individuals then try to resolve things that are left. Then whatever they can't resolve, the, the lingo is it gets kicked up to the corner offices, okay. which is the office of the President Pro Tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House to resolve the final issues. Right now, my understanding is that it's sort of in and out of the full chairs and the corner offices that it's a little back and forth. Over the weekend, I expect that, uh, if, if not by Friday sometime, that uh, Senator Berger and the Speaker will come to some conclusions to resolve the final differences. The plan is to have the budget on the House floor Monday night and uh, for us to, uh, to vote on. And of course, the budget has to be voted on twice on two separate days, so uh, we'll come back on Tuesday and presumably vote the second time on the budget. Well, that's really helpful, and, and I think what I understand from uh, Senator Berger and Speaker Moore, I mean, the goal is, is to get this passed and be done with the business by the 4th of July um, holiday, you, you, you know, the end of the fiscal year is, right. is June 30th. So that, right. you think that's still uh, a realistic and, I think, and goal? I think that is probably going to happen. That I think the budget is, my information is, it'll be done on Tuesday. Right. Uh, and that we will finish up session in full we hope before the fourth. Well, Greg, uh, Representative Meyer, I have to ask you. Um, you know, being a, a member of the minority party, I mean, you've, uh, you've you're, you're, you were involved, obviously, at their different points in the committee. But sort of, what is it, uh, sort of, from your perspective, uh, how this process plays out? Um, you know, um, from a, from a Democrat perspective. Well, Democrats don't have a lot of direct say so in the process, as Representative Blackwell just described to you. All the negotiations that are happening right now are among committee chairs and, and leaders of the chambers who are all Republicans. Going back to the appropriations process, uh, what's proposed in the budget bill is mostly also developed by, by the committee chairs behind closed doors and then presented in committee. So Democrats mostly have the chance to respond. Uh, and this year, as opposed to some years in the past, there weren't even a lot of hearings leading up to the appropriations meetings. So a lot of what came out was, was written by people who you know, were doing their homework, but uh, doing it with their own ideas in mind and not process that engaged a lot of the minority party or had a lot of public discourse. Right. All right. Well, I want to jump in. We've got a lot of things to cover. We're going to be here for both segments, so I appreciate you both taking the time. I want to get into some of the specific issues within the budgets and things that we're hearing from school leaders and teachers and the, and the public. 
Honestly, one of the biggest issues we continue to hear about is the issue of K-3 class size. Um, this has been covered a lot. We've talked about on the show the issue of uh, lowering class sizes next year and the possible impact on specialty teachers. The Senate um, included some language about intent to fund. The House didn't include anything, but I guess my question for you, Representative Blackwell, is sort of what's the, um, what's the plan in the interim? Because if you pass a budget with no funding for these changes now, theoretically you're not coming back until May of 2018 when the schools are sort of already deep into their planning. Is there a plan to look at um, how to fund these teachers and these class size reductions? There's a lot of difference of opinion, both among Democrats and Republicans, and certainly among Republicans as well, about how to approach it and their differences between education leaders in the Republican majority in the House and those in the Senate. Having said that, uh, I think that the plan is that there is a uh, task force that is going to be meeting probably fairly quickly after we adjourn. I forget the size of it, but I think it is intended to have maybe 11 members from the House and 11 from the Senate, but it may be nine each. But it's going to take a look at uh, the funding formulas that we use to provide money to the local school right. districts. But, I mean, one and that would include looking at this issue of how North Carolina has dealt with what is sometimes referred to as enhancement teachers, right. which is where the rub has come in. We have, the state has funded those positions not as a specific item. We've funded it basically the same way for probably 20 right. or 25, 30 years. When I was on the school board at home a long time ago, the state gave us no money for art and PE and music teachers. You made room within the overall teacher allocation. The Senate has insisted that class sizes be reduced, which is putting pressure on the funds being available to also hire these other teachers. So that'll be worked on, and I expect the committee will come up with a recommendation on that okay. for the short session. I want to get your thoughts on it, but we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, I want to get your thoughts, Representative Meyer, on sort of what you 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 stay in touch with the schools in in Durham and Orange. I know what they what you're hearing, but um, as we go to break, they are going to stick around and continue the conversation. But see if you can answer this question on our bumper break. Uh, the American Counseling Association recommends a maximum of 250 students for every one child, for, for every one guidance counselor. In 2015-2016, what was the average number of students for each guidance counselor in North Carolina? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer D? Last year, our public schools averaged 375 students for each guidance counselor, much higher than the recommended level of 250 per guidance counselor. I don't know, 250 still sounds like an awful lot to me. We are uh, continue to be joined by Representative Blackwell, Hugh Blackwell from Burke County, and we are Representative Greg Meyer from Durham and Orange County. Representative Meyer, I want to pick up where we just left off talking about the class size issue because Honestly, when I talk to educators out in the field and school leaders, that's what I hear about almost all the time now is this how are we going to pay for one, the teachers to, to meet the class size requirements, but also the infrastructure, the classrooms that we need, particularly in, in growing areas. What are you hearing? I mean, what I hear from people is that they don't consider 
PE and art and music classes to be enhancements. They consider them to be a part of what is the standard curriculum and what we expect in public schools these days. People want their kids to have access to those classes. And so we don't want a class size reduction to come at the expense of losing access to that curriculum. Representative Blackwell and I probably have more in common on this than, than different because this isn't a partisan issue. There's really been a divide between the House and the Senate in a lot of ways. And uh, the Senate has made a very clear priority around class size, but they really haven't thought it through because they didn't think about the consequences to curriculum. And as you pointed out, there's no money that's been set aside for the additional classroom space that would be required. And I don't think parents are going to be happy if thousands of students end up in mobile trailers because of the class size. Oh, I mean, some of the numbers that I've heard, Representative Blackwell, you probably heard some, $300 million up to is one of the estimates just for the personnel and that's not counting classes and then I've, then there's also the concern about well if you do the class size reductions what's the impact on the class sizes in, in grades four through eight I mean it, it sort of rolls up so it sounds like you're you you think we need to figure out a fix on this oh definitely definitely yeah. okay all right I'm gonna switch gears on it because I want to talk about <coughs> something I know you care about looks like that we're gonna get an increase in pay for principals this year um, yes. in, in some way which is great um, what do you think are the key components that needs to be present in any kind of final package for principals? Uh, one, introduced this by saying I think that the leader in the building to me is key. We hear a lot of talk about the importance of the classroom teacher and I do not diminish that at all, but teachers that can, are excellent have a hard time doing a good job if they don't have a principal who understands what's needed and can support and encourage. So anyway, having said that, one is we just basically need to raise the level of pay. We are bottom, we're 50th in the nation and have been for a long time. Uh, and in order to be competitive, we need to do that. Right. Two, uh, we need to get rid of, I think there's probably over a thousand different possibilities for paying principals based on a variety of all sorts of factors that have crept into the system over the last 25 or 30 years. So condensing that so that there's a, a simpler uh, approach and factoring in largely the size of the school they're in and paying more for those who've got the more difficult schools, which is usually where you've got low performing students, which is usually where you've got low income and, and free and reduced lunch. Yeah. So both the Senate and the House, I think, are agreed on that basic theory. There's another piece that I think is being negotiated, and, and the salary issue is handled by the so-called big chairs and full chairs. They don't let us lowly chairs do it, <laughs> uh, although I give them my opinion when right. I can. But uh, they're also talking about trying to add some bonuses in that might be a retention bonus if you're going to lose a good one to go somewhere that they pay more. Uh, a recruitment bonus to try to get somebody to come to a low-performing school that you need to turn around and you, you want to pay them to get them so that it's worth their while and that they're not making a sacrifice in doing. So there's some things of that sort right. that are going let on. Me, let me ask about um, some other things that have been um, uh, <coughs> sort of in dispute. Uh, all, cuts to central offices, you know, the, the, the county offices. The House budget um, that was passed would bring central office funding down to $84 million, which is the same level it was in 1996. Um, 
Is it? An, I mean, it looks like. I mean, is that enough? I mean, look, and I'm gonna, look, I'm going to share this. I've heard this. I mean, there's a lot of discussion about sort of why these cuts are happening. I've heard from multiple people that these cuts are sometimes referred to as the as the Merrill cuts, uh, referring to the superintendent of Wake County because he was so vocal um, about um, some of the challenges they were having. What, what are you? Uh, where, where did the where do House Democrats come down on these central office cuts? The central office cut isn't going to hurt Wake County. Wake County has lots of local money that they raise that they can choose to spend because of their massive tax base. But if you're in a green county or uh, a Avery County, small counties that really depend on state funding for most of their support, having this continual central office cut really hurts your ability to provide the basic support for curriculum and staffing, HR, things that you have to have just to run a school system. And I don't think it passes anybody's test to say that like, we should be at the same level where we were in the mid-90s, as you pointed out. Yeah, I mean, is, 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 there, I mean, is there a belief that they just, they just don't have anything to do and that's why it should be? Well, I'm not going to try to justify something that I happen not to agree with. Okay. Uh, Greg and I are pretty close together on this. Uh, I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of legislators on both sides of the aisle, maybe, but uh, there are a lot of legislators who want to be prescriptive. This, this is the House budget. I mean, it you is. Can vote. Okay. Well, it amazing. is. Okay. It is. It is. Okay. And, uh, but what I'm saying is, I think that Greg is right that uh, the wealthy school systems can afford to keep people in the central office, which is what they've always done. Right. Let me, uh, we've only got about a minute left. Are we on the right track on teacher pay, uh, Representative Meyer? The teacher pay question is a really simple question of are we investing enough? In our, and then the secondary question of are we paying the right people the right amount? The House budget only gives veteran teachers and new teachers a, under a 1% raise. I think that we should be supporting them more. And there's no surprise that across party lines, Democrats really wish we were putting more money into teacher raises. Gotcha. We are out of time. Come back and see us. We want to talk to you more, particularly after the budget gets uh, settled. Uh, but we appreciate your time today. Thank sure. you both for being here. Thank appreciate you for it. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights exceptional leadership in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we highlight a collaboration between Wilson County Schools and Barton College that's inspiring teachers to achieve their professional goal, becoming a school principal. I think a good principal is first a good teacher, an effective teacher. Who can work in the operational side and the vision side at the same time and not get pulled apart. Get someone who can lead with confidence, with enough confidence to let other people share in that leadership. Those are people who are great administrators. I've taught 14 years for Wilson County Schools. I recently graduated from Barton College with my MSA, my Master of School Administration. The Barton College MSA program, paired with the Aspiring Administrators program through Wilson County Schools, basically it, it ensured that I would have the theoretical knowledge base that's married or underpinned by the hands-on practical training 
that, is, that Wilson County needs in administrators and administrators through Eastern North Carolina. We tailor our support to their individual needs. So for example, if you spent all of your career in secondary, one of the things that you may want to work on is you need to know more about elementary, and so you may want to shadow an elementary assistant principal or someone like that. Uh, administrators in the Wilson County School System share their experience and their guidance and mentoring skills with our students, so everybody benefits. If you think about it, I mean, you've got a college right in our backyard, and so through the collaboration with Dr. Ennis, you know, everything that we're sharing with our aspiring administrators, they can share in the classes. And I mean, what better way to be able to get the entire message across to our folks? Many of my professors at Barton um, were either district leaders or even school leaders here in Wilson County. So, uh, so you have, it, it's, it's a meeting of both worlds. When we work with the teachers in this school district who want to become principals, really what we're doing is we are helping to train future Barton College students. And by doing that, then it helps Barton College flourish, it keeps our School of Education strong, and it maintains the quality of the learning that takes place in this part of the state of North Carolina. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. Former New York Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan once said, you are entitled to, entitled to your opinion, but you are not entitled to your own facts. Senator Moynihan died in 2003, so I wonder what he would make of today's climate where anything reported, factual or not, is labeled as fake news. It doesn't make for a great chant at a campaign rally, but yelling fake news is really what science defines as confirmation bias. It's the tendency to seek out or interpret information or confirm your own pre-existing beliefs. Liberals do it, conservatives do it, I do it. It's human nature. As a general rule, most folks don't like having their beliefs about anything challenged, so we often live in a bubble where our beliefs or our facts are not challenged. The problem is, is that now when we do it all the time in places where we need actual policy debates, where facts should matter. Let me give you a couple examples. In unveiling the latest House and Senate budgets, the Speaker and the Senate leader both said the budgets represent the highest amount the state of North Carolina has ever invested in public education. No context. Will it be the most we've ever invested? Yes, in the actual dollar amount. But it is a fact without context. Our public schools are educating 67,000 more students than they did in 2008-2009, the last school year before the Great Recession. Yet we have 2,000 fewer K-12 classroom teachers. That's why class sizes in grades 4 to 12 are getting bigger. Textbooks are underfunded by $32 million and instructional supplies by $44 million. That's one reason your child's teacher's classroom's want list is getting longer and longer. Here's another verifiable fact. The General Assembly has made real increases in teacher pay over the last three years. That's why our national ranking for teacher pay has jumped from 47th in 2013-2014 to 35th this year. That's a fact. So let's talk about where we need to be, not that it hasn't happened. I hope today with the conversation with Representative Meyer and Representative Blackwell, we added a little more context and facts to the mix. That's one of our goals on the show. 
there are actual policy differences that ought to be debated, like whether we should fund private school vouchers or we should invest more in classroom resources, or should we do both? But we can't have that discussion if we refuse to accept anything as factual. That's it for this week's show. Come back next week and we're going to give you even more information on the latest on the state budget as well as tackle other key issues in education across the Old North State. Thanks for watching Education Matters and we'll see you next week. <laughs>